Welcome back to Over Here, the podcast from Outside In Music. My name is Nick Finzer. And today we're resuming a conversation that we started a few weeks ago about jazz and jazz education, about college music programs and kind of people's opinions about where maybe you should go or where your kids should go or if you should even study music officially at all in a academic setting or in a higher education setting. This week we're going to talk to two great musicians who are friends of mine and colleagues here in New York City. First, we're going to hear from Roxy Koss and her experiences at William Patterson University and also from Glenn Zaleski, who had a much different path uh, than Roxy and different than anyone else that we talked to so far. So if you like what you hear from these guys, please do check out their music. They both have new records out in the last couple of weeks. Roxy has a record out on Positone Records called Chasing the Unicorn, and Glenn just celebrated his CD release Fellowship at the Jazz Standard uh, I think it was last week, and uh, that's out on Sunnyside Records, so please do find those online. Check out their music after you hear what they have to say. And this is an ongoing conversation. There's f- further opinions to be had here, so we lo- I'd love to start an ongoing dialogue, so please leave a message here on the podcast in a review or send me an email or contact us through Instagram or Facebook or wherever you like to get in touch with people. We'd love to have further questions, further follow-up, because it's a conversation that needs to be had. Uh, you know, higher education is needs to change, I think. You know, tuition is crazy high, and there's lots and lots and lots of aspiring young musicians and not a lot of opportunity all the time for everyone. So it's kind of a conversation that needs to come out of the shadows, I think, and into the forefront and be a strong consideration before you make a life in music. But without further ado, I want you to hear from Roxy Koss and Glenn Zaleski. I'm Roxy Koss, and I uh, went to school at William Patterson University in New Jersey and got a Bachelor of Music degree from there. And I am a saxophonist and composer and multi-woodwind instrumentalist. Uh, living in New York City and making a living playing and teaching and recording. Great. And I think you, if you could clarify, I think uh, you grew up in Seattle. I forget which of the, you went to a school with a great jazz program for high school, right? Yeah, I went to Garfield High School, um, directed by Clarence Acox. So there was a great jazz program at that school. We uh, traveled to a lot of places, including New York um, for essentially Ellington. I went three years to that program, and we also did a European tour one of the years I was there. And did you have interest in jazz even before that, or was that kind of what got you into it? Um, it was. It definitely solidified my decision to be uh, a jazz musician professionally when I went to the essentially Ellington competition. Um, but I had been introduced to jazz um, through another sort of legend um, in the education community in Seattle, Robert Nat, who leads or led the Washington Middle School Jazz Program. Um, so starting in sixth grade when I joined the jazz band was kind of when I found my passion for jazz. Cool. Um, so what 
made you decide to go to William Patterson? What were some of the factors? Um, there were a bunch of factors. I was pretty active doing um, different summer camps that offered great jazz programs um, in middle school and high school. Um, and one of those programs was at Stanford. And at the time, Harold Mayburn um, was teaching at Stanford, as well as Eric Alexander, um, Joe Farnsworth, and a few others. Um, and Harold, of course, is a, a teacher at William Patterson and has been uh, for years and years. And Eric and Joe are both alums of the program. So um, they were all, you know, saying very high, singing high praise of the program. And so that was the first time I'd heard about it. Um, and that same year, actually, when I was in Europe with my jazz band, um, the director of the program at the time, James Williams, uh, randomly met my parents and told them about the program. Um, so it was on my list. Um, of schools to check out. And when I was visiting New York with, um, essentially Ellington, I went and visited a bunch of the, the schools and checked out the programs and kind of whittled down my list to schools that felt like a good match and ended up applying at six different schools. Um, and then it was a matter of, uh, who was offering scholarship money, uh, the location of the school. Um, I wanted to be close to New York city. Um, and, the schools that were actually in the city, uh, a couple of them I didn't end up feeling were a good fit. Um, Juilliard, I applied. Uh, they were only offering one tenor slot, so I was waitlisted there. Um, and William Patterson was really the only other choice around New York City. Um, so it was between that and then going to Boston um, at NEC or Berkeley. And in the end, William Patterson gave me the best scholarship opportunity, so I followed that. Cool. Uh, would you say if you had to pick like one factor that was there a deciding factor, like was money the most important thing for you or was it all of them combined or? It was I think it was combined. Uh, money definitely wasn't the thing I was thinking the most about going into the process. Um, I think as an 18 year old, it's hard to prioritize that the way it maybe should be. Um, I I know that it was a factor my parents were well aware of because they both went to school for um, fine arts degrees um, and being in a position where they weren't able to just pay outright for school obviously they were very aware of the consequences that could have for me potentially um, so coming out of school I'm extremely grateful to myself for making that decision in the end uh, not having any student loans or debt coming out of jazz school has been I think ultimately one of the most important factors to my success in making a living doing music only and not having to take other jobs to make up the difference in the cost of living in New York. Um, but going into the decision, you know, definitely location, uh, the teachers, um, the student body um, were all a factor. And I thought that it would be good to have a, a school um, that would also offer like a university experience I think I was wrong about that. I think um, when you decide to pursue music as your your calling professionally, um, the best thing you can do is just be surrounded by other musicians and really focus in on that and use school as a time to practice and just make those relationships with both faculty and students. Great. Uh, so 
do do you ever get your students or students when you do clinics or master classes to ask you like if what music schools they should go to and then what so what do you say in response to those types of questions when students ask you about it um i think that it's important for students to know why they want to go to music school um it's become kind of the standard and it's a it's a risky decision and not just because you're pursuing music but um music school you know you got to look at what you want to get out of it um there are great things you can get out of music school but um if you just kind of go through it without knowing what you want you can potentially come out of it with not much useful <laughs> material and a lot of debt so i think that um asking yourself at that age, are you ready to, um, you know, be a part of this community? Like whether it's, um, moving to New York, if you're ready for that big move. Um, and if not, there's, there's lots of great programs around the country. Um, so, you know, finding a good fit with your, with your private instructor is a big one. And I think making sure that you, you like the student body that's there, um, and the money is a huge factor if you plan to come out of school and try to make a living. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, and then you ne you didn't go beyond William Patterson, right? You d you don't have a master's. Correct. And yeah. uh, was there any, <laughs> what was the, um, I know because a lot of people just kind of automatically just do that, go right. into a master's because they think, I don't know, that's what they're supposed to do. Was there any factors or thoughts that, drew you to the conclusion to not do that? Um, yeah, I, it, w it was, again, a lot of factors. Um, and I don't think there's any right or wrong answer for that. Um, I think I started to ask myself, why would I be going if I did go back? Um, again, it's, it's another uh, cost if, if you don't get a scholarship. Um, so you have to take that decision pretty seriously. Um, at the time I was pretty burnt out from school and, um, William Patterson went through a really tumultuous time. The program, uh, went through, you know, the deaths of a few, uh, directors, artistic directors. And so the program itself, um, was in a strange place when I left. And so I, I didn't have, um, the, the most optimistic, um, outlook on jazz school when I left the program. And so I think emotionally, I definitely needed a break from school. And the other factor is, you know, you learn so much in school and they give you so much information that I felt like I could really still work on that stuff for a while. And I, I hadn't really gotten the most out of all the information I'd received. And I, I wanted to kind of sit with that. Um, but, but ultimately it's like, what do I want to get out of getting a master's degree? Um, I didn't feel ready to, uh, study, take on more to study. Cause as I said, I had a lot of stuff I wanted to work on still. Um, and I, I wasn't really ready to make a new relationship with a private instructor. And so to me, a lot of my peers that were going on to master's programs were saying that if they were in the future to want to teach that they would need the degree. And that was their primary reason. And I just thought to myself, well, my primary goal is to be a performer, um, not to have not to hold a position at a university in an educational position. So if that's my primary goal, then I think I need to focus primarily on that goal, which means getting on the scene in New York, meeting people, getting gig opportunities, and just starting to play professionally. Mm -hmm. 
Great. So this might be an interesting question. Um, so what are you doing now that you never thought you would have been doing as a jazz student? <laughs> so many things. <laughs> um, well, I think just the nature of a lot of the gigs that I do, you don't really know that those exist when you're in school. Um, what was visible to me as a student, you know, from high school into college was more like just the jazz club gigs that you see, which I would say ma the majority of are very high profile, um, especially in a city like New York. Uh, the people getting booked at the major jazz clubs are very well established on the scene. Um, so having that as your goal, you don't realize what's the in-between to get there. Um, so I might have a gig every once in a while at one of those clubs, um, either with my own project or somebody else's project as a sideman. But um, the day-to-day, -day, the majority of the work that I do is behind the scenes, um, whether it be a private event, um, you know, such as wedding gigs, you know, and I did private event gig work from a very early age, like middle school, but um, that's a whole scene that you kind of have to navigate. And New York is a whole different scene of those private events. Um, so that's one thing. And then uh, just kind of the hustle. And it's such a amorphous, <laughs> vague term that we all use and refer to. Um, for me, that has become a lot of work at my computer, on the phone, um, making relationships, reaching out on the internet to people in different cities um, around the world or around the United States, uh, either trying to book my project. If I want to do little tours, I'm the person in charge of all of that work, whether I'm making my website or um, working on a new recording, all the work that goes into that, finding labels to work with. Um, so there's there's so much work that goes into whether you want to run your own project or if you want to be a part of other people's projects, you know, all the work that goes into meeting those people and forming relationships, you have to go out and meet people so they know to hire you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So do, do you think that was none of that stuff mentioned to you in school or at all there where you went or was it just that you didn't really know what it what what it meant when they were said just like you don't just like as an 18 year old we don't really know what a certain amount of debt means later um well probably to be generous uh it was a combination of the two okay <laughs> um i i had a feeling when i was there that the focus was you're not going to be able to make a living performing so you better find out what else you're good at because that's what's going to make you be able to survive. And that really kind of made me angry as a student because it's like, well, if we're already working on plan B, you mm -hmm. know, why are we even pursuing performance degrees? Because you might as well just do plan B as your degree and focus on that. Because my idea is whatever you do, do it 100%, do it well. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways it's true, but not in the way I was interpreting it. Um, I don't think that a performance degree student and somebody who really wants to perform should be pursuing how to be an educator. An educator is a whole other career that you must be good at and have those skills. Um, you can, however, be a great teacher. 
um, in an educator in that informal sense. And it's also necessary when you are a performer. I think that that's a big part of what I do that I love doing um, is passing on that lineage, but not to try to be an educator and have that career where you're getting a position somewhere. And that might come down the road, but if you don't have the experience as a performer, I don't think you have the qualifications necessarily to teach someone else how to make a living being a performer. Um, so I think that there needs to be more differentiation in the schools with what that means. They're two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other skills, you know, in terms of you can publish things or, uh, you know, as you know, well, you, you can start a label, you can do all sorts of different things. Um, so I think that the tie that I was missing is how, how to do those things. You know, it started to be uh, in my consciousness in school that you need to do other things besides play your instrument well. But I don't think that even the the professors maybe knew what it was. I think our generation is kind of having to figure it out for ourselves because it's changed a lot. The industry has changed a lot. Um, You're not going to just join, well, you know, there's a very minute percentage of people that can just join a record label and even a major label like Blue Note, you're not going to get paid what you were getting paid in other generations. So you have to create your own vision of what your career looks like. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, you, you know, I agree with you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you would say that when you're there in your undergrad that they were pushing you into like educational stuff or what were they kind of trying to make as your plan B? Uh, I don't think it was any one thing. Uh-huh. I think they were just saying, you know, you need to find another part of the industry that you can make money from because you're not going to make it from performing. Um. So I definitely didn't get the information in school of how, like just even little details that I think could have been more easily accessible to students. Like, you know, everybody as a, as a leader, you're going to need a website. Um, Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, if you, if you want to pursue being a band leader, how do you organize a recording session? How do you, um, practice good business skills and good relationship skills you know, a lot of what we do is very social and you need to be able to have those social skills um, and organizational skills. You know, you need to know about finances. You have to do your own bookkeeping. There's lots of like practical things that I think are a big part of, you know, being a freelancer is what we really are if you want to be a performer. Right. Totally. So upon reflection and kind of thinking about all this and looking back at it, do you do you think that it was a worthwhile investment of your time to get a jazz degree? Um, yes, I think that the, you know, the, like I said, the relationships are very important. And one of the things I think I, if any, that I missed out on not doing a master's program is that I, I think the relationships you make with your teachers and your peers are very important and invaluable. And you don't get that experience necessarily if you just move somewhere and start to try to meet people and play with them having a structure that forces you to see someone every day is really cool. And you don't realize it till it's gone, but having, you know, ensemble classes or places where you can even just jam with your friends on a regular basis is really, really valuable, especially at that age and in that stage of development. Um, and I, I definitely had some wonderful teachers that either in their classes or studying privately, I learned musically stuff that, um, 
is very valuable and necessary to become professional level. Um, and you can definitely seek out uh, teachers on your own time, but it, be, it makes that process a lot easier, obviously. It's all centralized and you don't have to worry about, you know, the money is already, you don't have to deal with that with the, the individual person. Um, mm -hmm. But it, I, I think that you can't go to school and expect, like, anything, really. Expectations are what get us in trouble. So don't, you know, you can't expect, like, oh, if I go to this school, I'm going to get these gigs from these faculty. Or, you know, I'm once I get a degree, it's going to do this for me. I'm going to get a job or anything like that because I don't think any of that is, you can't expect any any of those conclusions. Got it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, great. Well, um, is there any other thoughts that have kind of stirred up while you've been thinking or talking about any of this that you didn't get to uh, verbalize? Um, well, I guess just to emphasize and tie up some things I already started to mention, which is uh, a lot of times when I work with students um, and I ask them, you know, why do you play music or why do you want to get good at music? The the answers don't go very deep. And it, so if, if I were to talk to a student, I think it's important to ask yourself, why do you play music? Why do you want to keep playing music? And that will, that will help determine an answer about education. Like, what do I want to get out of this program? Because it's going to be different for everybody. And um, can this program or that program offer what I specifically want to get out of this experience. And then, of course, your opinion might change and broaden as you go through the experience as things come up. But going into it, I think, is necessary for this particular path, this degree that you follow. So what? Uh, how do you answer that question? Why, why do you play music now? Uh, for me, music is a means to express myself uh, to reach people and connect with people. Um, I guess the vague, easy answer is it makes me feel good. <laughs> um, and it gives me a feeling I don't get from other experiences in life. But um, I think what that feeling is, like, when I play my music for audience members, especially people who don't know me or haven't heard my music, or even people who just haven't heard very much jazz or don't know what they think about jazz, it's really rewarding to make people feel something or make people think about things differently um, and to have a, a response where people, you know, give me feedback that, that what I'm giving them challenges them or touches them in some way I think is really rewarding. Great. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up great thanks for interviewing me <laughs> yeah of course yeah thanks for your time i appreciate it what i love about talking to roxy is just how she's so honest and so passionate about music and you know chasing after her dreams and chasing after the career and life that she wants and i think that it's super important and it's a very important quality to have as a student as a person who wants to pursue a career in music and specifically in jazz is having that passion having that goal that you're going to go and make music and just be, enjoy the process, you know, asking yourself that question that Roxy asked herself, you know, that she posed. Why, why do you play music?
but an important question to ask. If it's not the only thing in your life, that's okay. As we heard last episode with James Hall, not everyone has this very direct to New York extreme musician pathway. It can be circuitous from time to time. So now we're going to follow up with a much different conversation. Here is Glenn Zaleski talking about his pathway to New York. Okay, so my name is Glenn Zaleski, and I'm from Boylston, Massachusetts, a suburb of Worcester, Massachusetts. And I have been playing the piano since I was seven years old. I'm now 29 years old. Um, what was the rest of the... Uh, where, where do you live now, and what? Uh, where'd you go to college? So now I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I went to three different colleges. My, my first two years of college were at the Brubeck Institute in Stockton, California, and then my, I finished my undergraduate at the New School in New York City, and then I went to graduate school at NYU. Um, and for people that don't know, could you give a little explanation of what the Brubeck Institute is and where it is and what it's about? The Brubeck Institute is in Stockton, California, and it's a one to two year program. And, um, it's a very small program. They only accept, um, one band, you know, four to six musicians each year are in the program. And, um, it's a... It's a great opportunity, and, and uh, all expenses are paid, and, and you're living at the University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. And the program is there because Dave Brubeck graduated from the University of the Pacific years ago when it was known as the College of the Pacific. And his collection, his archive, and uh, you know all of his materials and recordings and notes and manuscripts are all housed at the University of the Pacific. So... The Institute's home is, is in Stockton, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, you have to be just out of high school. The age range is between 17 and 19, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you just you go there, and you're in a very, um, yeah, a very specialized uh, program for just one band, and that, that band, you, you live with this band, and you perform with this band and rehearse and write for the band and go to classes together. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what happens. So when you go there, when you do classes and stuff, is it like part of like the five, is it just like the five of you go to like normal classes or was it like specialized classes just for you guys or? Well, when we were there, most of our classes were just the five of us. Uh, we had occasional classes with the conservatory, mm-hmm. maybe two, um, but we were basically in our own world, although we were living at the uni- University of the Pacific, um, with, with a few exceptions, we basically had our own classes in our own world. I think that's different now. I was there from 2005 to 2007. Mm-hmm. So what kind of drew you there as opposed to any of the other, you know, jazz schools? Because obviously it's not in a large city. But obviously, it's very specialized. So, what what was your kind of decision making process in getting there? Well, for me, it was. I mean, it's 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 a no brainer. I I mean, uh, they they cover everything. I mean, it's an all expenses paid opportunity to play with the best musicians your age in in the 
country in, in the world. And uh, it's, I mean, as far as I was concerned, it was the best opportunity I, anyone could have possibly been afforded at, at the time. And uh, so it was definitely a no-brainer. I mean, and other perks were that, uh, you know, I'm a big Dave Brubeck fan. And in high school, I had seen Dave many times and heard all of his records and, and uh, you know, learned all of his tunes. So, you know, just as a fan, uh, it was enticing to go to the Brubeck Institute and, you know, meet Dave and be a part of the, the college that he went to 60 years prior and, so there was for me it was just you know an overwhelmingly uh positive opportunity i mean it was an absolute no brainer i i uh when i got the call um yeah it was it was just an a quick and obvious yes there was no discussion necessary gotcha so did you end up applying to anywhere else were you kind of i applied to to a bunch of schools i i applied to n e c in boston and berkeley and um Eastman and uh, and New School in Manhattan, and I was all set to go to NEC. Mm-hmm. My brother was there, and I'm from Massachusetts, and I actually, you know, I thought that was going to be great. And uh, but kind of unexpectedly, this this Brubeck Institute opportunity came up. I mean, I I wasn't actually the first pianist that was chosen, um, but the the original pianist uh, turned down the offer. Um, and then it was passed off to me. So, you know, basically, I, you know, I, I was planning to go to NEC because I thought that I didn't get into the Rubik Institute. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, signed all the papers and sent a deposit and the whole thing was set, more or less. And then about a day later, I got a call from the Rubik Institute saying that the, the chair had opened up and it was offered to me. So I, I was, I was pretty excited about that. And so from there, you moved to New York and kind of finished up at the new school. So what kind of what was that vibe like then when you were there? So that would have been what two thousand seven to two thousand nine or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh seven to oh nine, and um, I, I had a really great time there too as well. Um, there was a, a ton of great musicians around. Um, I you know I mean. Lucas and and I we went to the new school together from the Brubeck Institute. Lucas Pino. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm yeah, there's a lot of great musicians when I was at the new school. Peter Schlam and Ben Van Gelder and, and uh, Dave Robert and Kyle Wilson and Hayden Hawkins who also went to the Brubeck Institute and Corey King and uh, geez, I, I mean. A lot. I mean, I'm I'm just leaving people out. I, I shouldn't even be listing names because I'm going to leave people out. And sorry if I uh, offended anybody there. But but I, I had an amazing time at, at at New School, and it was it was, you know, I had more more classwork at the New School than I did at the Brubeck Institute. But still, it was a very light program academically, and uh, it was basically a, a very free environment where I could more or less direct what I wanted to do. I could study with who I wanted to study with. And, play sessions with who, you know, whoever I wanted to play sessions with and take classes that I wanted to take. Um, so I, 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 you know, that freedom worked, worked well with me. And also you're right in the heart of, of Greenwich Village, so you can go see music very easily. And, and uh, yeah, I had a great time there. Oh, and I, my, my roommate was Rick Rosado, mm. which was which was crazy. I didn't. I didn't know Rick. We were just. We happened to be roomed together in, in the dorms in, at New School, 
and we met that day. It was me and a, another friend. It was three people in the room. Um, and I, I met Rick, and he said, oh, I'm a bass player. I go to, I'm going to the new school. And I said, oh, I'm a piano player. I'm going to the new school. And then we played a tune together in the apartment, and it was, it was, it was really great. Oh, that's uh, funny. So, yeah, that, that's how you know, I, I became very good friends with, with a, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it sounds like kind of every, in your experiences have been a lot, a lot of, mostly self-directed. Like you, within the new school, you had to kind of figure out what you wanted to do and then kind of you had to take initiative at the Brubeck Institute to kind of like figure out what you were going to what you're going to do musically and yeah both schools both of those schools were very um very open-ended you know at the Brubeck Institute we had a lot of a lot of free time I mean there were times when we'd be very busy but there were also extended blocks where we'd have a lot of free time and um you know I I spent a lot of time in the practice room Mm -hmm. Um, I mean that mean to me like just hearing that like that's a totally different experience than like for example, like my path or some other people's path that was very, you know, regimented by other people because of, you know, the institutions that we kind of ended up at. And uh, so I get, I guess maybe does that, did that contrast at all with NYU? Did, was it more structured well, there? No, because when I went to NYU, it was graduate school. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I, I can't say for sure because um, I've heard different accounts, but you know, I, I think in, in a lot of cases in graduate school, it's more open-ended than undergraduate uh, programs. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But for NYU, my, my experience there was also pretty open-ended. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, classwork was, was pretty minimal, you know, for, for a graduate program. Uh, and I could basically study with who I wanted to study with. And, um, you know, but w- within NYU's faculty... At New School, you can just name anybody you want to study with, and they'll set it up for you. Um, mm-hmm. But NYU, you know, also had a really amazing faculty, and I could, you know, take the ensembles I wanted and and uh, study with who I wanted to. Um, and I would say that classwork was was kind of minimal. So actually, to be honest, at NYU, I spent a lot of time teaching private students because that's how I was paying for my. I was paying for it. Um, oh, like TA. yeah, not like TA. Actually, I was teaching private students. You know, I, I was graduate student pianists, and I would teach piano lessons to uh, undergraduate non-music majors. So people who signed up for piano lessons as an elective. Oh, which, okay. Which a lot of people would do. NYU is a big school, and and uh, a lot of people might need some elective credits, so they just sign up for piano lessons. And mm-hmm. I, would you know they give those students to the, the graduate students so i had i had a lot of students especially my second third and fourth semesters i had like between i mean at least 10 hours of teaching a week and i also had a class for jazz majors who were non-pianists it was like a, a jazz piano class for non-pianists mm-hmm. so actually i spent a lot of time in in uh, teaching lessons when I was at NYU, I, to be honest, I spent more time doing that than writing papers or anything. Um, I think that's just how the the program was was structured mm-hmm. for me at at the time. Interesting, and that's but that was you know that was good and bad. I mean that's well you know it was actually it was good it was good. Yeah, I mean from what I can tell, it sounds like pretty much you've been able to kind of do what you've want whatever you wanted 
the whole time and end up getting, you know, two degrees and having a wide range of experiences. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. And it, which is interesting because I don't think that, I don't think that everyone that goes into music would be successful in that path. I feel like a lot of people might, you know, get lost along the way. No, some people definitely need to um, have more direction. Some people don't do well with the, the freedom. I mean, some people, uh, if they're given too much freedom, especially when you're 18 and 19, you know, you you know, you know, you might not use the time wisely. Did you find that some of your, you know, peers or other people around kind of ended up that way? And was that like something that helped you to like stay focused? Or was that just kind of your personality to always be kind of know where you were headed hey i don't know i mean the the brick institute there were times when there was so much free time where you know i could i could practice literally for for eight hours or something i could i could i could go to the practice room at 10 a.m you know practice for like two and a half hours have like a nice little lunch break and then practice some more and then eat some dinner and then practice a little bit after dinner (laughs) you know so basically like eight hours and Mm -hmm. then i would still have enough time to like hang out at night it's it's not like it, it, it you know so i was i was practicing a lot but 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 also i you know i i could still like hang out with people and be social and and have that sort of college experience as well so um man that's so interesting to me i'm sorry like that i'm maybe i seem fascinated by that but no, it's, it's just like very, i think about it i mean i think about it now and and it's it, it is fascinating i mean it's it's incredible and yeah. uh yeah, it's incredible. And I think, yeah, I mean, obviously it allowed you to, you know, do a lot of things for yourself. And that's, and I think about the amount of time that I sat in in classes for no other reason than just to, you know, check a box, you know? Yeah, there was no real, I mean, there was no real bureaucratic uh, stuff to have to deal with. No, no real core classes. I mean, we did have classes. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't classes, but I mean, compared to, compared to what a typical college student does. Uh, right, right. I, I realized that it's it was virtually nothing. Um, so now, kind of on the flip side of of all of that, you know, when I think you probably interact with students now, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when they ask you about like where should they go to college or what how they should pursue their education, what what do you tell them? Well, I usually tell them to spend as little money as possible on, on on higher education, and you have to seriously consider how much scholarship money you're you're getting at at a at a school, um, because it's definitely not worth worth anybody's money to. I, I don't know what tuition is like nowadays at um, at at these schools, but. You know, if you have to spend forty or fifty thousand dollars a year to to get a degree, I mean, obviously that's not worth it. And I think when it comes down to it, uh, money needs to be a, de- a deciding factor because uh, at a young age, um, the most important thing is that you just have time to practice. You know, and and uh, and you can do that anywhere. You know, so it doesn't matter. You know, if you get a full scholarship to go to school and in Iowa or whatever and and uh you go there and get work done for two or three years or four years you can stay for all four years and then if you really want to make a mark in the scene and move to New York you can do that after you've got 
after you've got your degree and you're still only 21 years old, or even if you only want to do one year or two years at, at, at a school in New York or somewhere else that might be more expensive, you know, that, that might be a better way. Also, if you've practiced more and you're like a little better, you, you might be more eligible for, for a scholarship, uh, a merit-based scholarship after two years of practice at a smaller school where maybe you were able to get a bigger scholarship. So I do, I do think that, that, um, that, scholarship is a big part of it especially now with with the I mean the way the internet is now you can get a lesson with anybody any anywhere in the world anytime you know you can get Skype lessons with you it used to be even even in 2005 it wasn't so easy to get a lesson with you know Jeff Keezer or Taylor I you know or whoever or, or Joe Gilman you know who was my primary teacher you know even then I mean the internet I mean YouTube was kind of new uh and and you know you couldn't I couldn't if I wanted to get like a Skype lesson with with Jeff Keezer, I mean that wouldn't happen I I would need to you know so so it, it's it's a little different now and uh, I think I, I definitely caution students when they're deciding on on a school um, I caution them to to avoid getting into debt you know? yeah no like, I. I... I wish somebody had said that to me, you know, when I was younger, you know, I, I just, I was thinking about this because a a student, you know, called me saying he was wanted to go to Berkeley and told me it was going to cost him $60,000 a year. Oh my God, it's 60,000. So I was actually, uh, low balling with with my estimates. So yeah, I mean, obviously that's not a good idea. I mean, it's just not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, uh, I think sometimes we, students or or even you know, whoever get this idea of this fantasy world where you go to new york and study and or whatever school and that'll you know set you on a path to you know whatever sec- ultimate success whatever they imagine but um what's been what's been kind of the i don't want to say key but kind of what's been your i mean you you've, you play with a lot of great people and and great leader and everything and so what's been kind of your um guiding principles to be able to get to where you're at now um well i i don't know i mean i'm i'm always uh uh, guiding principles hmm well you know i'm always very focused on my musicianship and my piano playing uh in the sense that, um, you know, I'm, I always want to be sure that I can read well and, and contribute creatively to, to what's happening um, so that, you know, if somebody needs a piano player for whatever the situation is, you know, I, you know, my, my job is to make myself eligible for, for that work, whatever it may be. So, uh, you know, I, I can't make somebody call me. Uh, but you know, if I can put myself in the conversation and increase the odds that I might get called, then, then that seems, seems to work. Um, in that, you know, when it comes down to, when it comes down to hiring somebody, you know, you need somebody that can just make the gig and not cause any stress on the leader at all. You know, someone that can show up and play the music correctly the first time mm-hmm. and not just correctly, but also you know, hopefully contribute something, some energy to the music and some creativity. And, uh, 
So, you know, for, for me, I, I try and take care of my musicianship in that sense that I can, you know, read something and, you know, make it work quickly and, and uh, or, you know, if somebody wants to call tunes or whatever, you know, I, I want to be familiar with repertoire so I can, you know, communicate that way. And I, I, I'd say that my, my work is is just to to be sure that my, my fundamental musicianship and piano playing is on a high enough level that I can be in the conversation, you know, when it, when it comes down to like, you know, I, I need somebody for this situation, you know, I, I just, I just want to be on, on the table, you know, so, so I do that by just, you know, trying to have fundamentals together and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Know. No, that's great. Uh, I'll just, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I'll just ask you one more question. If mm-hmm. That's okay. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, so looking you know, looking back, kind of talking through all this, these experiences, is there anything that you're doing now that you never expected you'd be doing, whether musical, musically or non-musically from when you were a student till now? Oh, yeah. I mean, this might sound blown out of proportion, but honestly, uh, literally every single thing that I'm doing now is not something that I ever expected to be doing. Uh, I mean playing with you and making a record with you is like not something that I ever expected to be doing or living in New York city is not something I ever expected to be doing or, um, yeah, playing on any, just the fact that I'm like playing on anybody's record that, you know, I, I, I didn't really expect, expect any of it. Um, yeah, I, I mean that, that might sound like an exaggeration, but it's, it's really not. I mean, I, I, I really, you know, I was working when I was in high school in, in you know, central Massachusetts, you know, and I was playing at restaurants and, and weddings and, and brunches and whatever. And that was cool. I, you know, to be honest, I kind of just thought I was going to, you know, I was very happy doing that. And I, I was very satisfied and I was employed. And I more or less thought I would just be doing that forever. And then I moved to New York on a fluke in the sense that I, got more money to go to the new school than the other schools. You know, we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that. And that's the reason I moved to, to, new, to, to new York in the first place. And, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, a career sort of uh, happened here. But, uh, you know, I, I, nev- I never really thought I'd be doing any of it. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> wow! No, that, that's great. No. It was it was never a goal that I that I set for myself. I mean, my my goals for myself were always musical and pianistic. You know, I I always, in, in a sense, my, my my musical and pianistic goals haven't really changed since I was twelve. Um, you know, I've just been doing the same thing for for a long time, and it's, you know, just led me in various directions that, you know, I've I've just been happy to kind of go on for the ride but um i I didn't really ever expect any of it beyond uh sort of yeah i didn't expect any of it wow well it seems like everything's kind of going well for you so i'm happy for you yeah I, i think so cool well man thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me for this yeah sure thing it's happy to happy to chat and i'll let you know what it 
what becomes of it. I'm just going to talk to a bunch of people and kind of cobble together some some thoughts and kind of backed up by various people's opinions and, and kind of kind of share the, all of that together. Yeah, it sounds like a great podcast, something that I'm sure will be helpful because it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's even different now than when we were in school. I mean, we were in right. school, I mean, we started school 12 years ago. I know, that's crazy. <laughs> we were nearly classmates at Eastman. I know, right? It would have been the same year, yeah. I, I auditioned there. I remember I, I, I met Harold Danko and Bill Dobbins at the audition. Oh, man. I think I met I met Sakai Curtis. Wasn't Sakai Curtis there? Oh, for an audition, maybe? I, he didn't oh, go there, but... He was older. Did he not go there? No, I don't think so. Okay, never mind. I don't know why. Maybe he was there for... But yeah. been there for some reason. But well, we waited a few years. Yeah, cool. Well, um, thanks again, man, and uh, I'll see you around soon. I'm sure. Yeah, thank you, Nick. All right, have a good day, man. See ya. And that's Glenn Zaleski talking about his experiences at the Brubeck Institute, at the New School, and also at NYU. Much different than Roxy's, and definitely different than the two people we spoke with the last episode of this series, James Hall and Alexa Tarantino. There's more than one way to get to New York. There's more than one way to have a life in music. And I hope that this has helped you to maybe consider more about your path, more about your higher education and future. So thanks for listening. Please leave us a comment and we'll talk to you real soon.